0: Everyone out in not radio land, this is Michael Swain, bringing you another installment of Like Razorblade Pie, a bite-sized book club about the short speculative fiction of Harlan Ellison, my favorite writer of all time. Uh, and I'm here with, I mean, on our own network, you know her from Shooting Threes, you know her from in the Curious, you know her as the voice of the best Podcast intro theme, we or any other operation will ever have. Exactly. Sarah Griffith, people, folks, welcome. Hello.
1: Thank you for having me. This was such a delight to read.
0: Oh, I'm so glad. uh, You know, most whenever we do an episode, most generally the homework is to watch a movie, but that's something people largely do anyway. Not everyone reads short stories these days. So I'm always wary. But I try to assign ones that take, like, what did it take you, like, 25 minutes to read? It's very short, right?
1: Oh, yeah. No, no, no. it, uh, yeah, it yeah, It's yeah. the perfect short story. One sitting. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yes.
0: And that's what he does. He does very, like, campfire-length stories that you could actually tell That's a in good a way sitting. to describe it, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, So let's see, before we dive in, I don't have any introductory or preparatory notes, but basically that's just the PSA saying that I do think you'll get more out of this show if you actually read along more so than like, I don't know. I don't know if this is weird, but I can totally listen to movie podcasts about movies I've never seen if I like the people. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's weird if you're listening to this and you haven't spent the half an hour it took to read the thing. And honestly, so read that's thing. that's generous. <laughs> that's a half
1: hour if um, you're like thinking from scratch. If you've seen the movie yeah. Nope, um, a lot of the descriptors, you can kind of fill in some of those blanks. So you oh. don't even have to think. That's what I was thinking of. That's... That was kind of like my reference of what I was building. You know when yeah. you read something and you're putting it together in your imagination?
0: You copy paste I was like, oh, like, this is a like a mosaic the nope. of other elements. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um yeah, and that's what I well, that's stupid. Everyone says that, but that's what I love about reading. Or <laughs> like I also have gone years without reading and mostly doing audiobooks or podcasts because it's like my business, but uh for this podcast have started reading again and it inspired me to start reading, 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 you know, yeah. like full-length books again. And man, that old feeling of like you have to focus and use your imagination or the thing won't come to life like the art won't work you won't experience yeah. it um it's no, nice I, I'm it's like on a, a f- mental workout movies yeah. don't give most movies don't give you I'm, a, yeah. I'm
1: on a fiction kick right now and so i've been doing a oh, lot a of like kick. mental interior design like you know and yeah. you reread a segment of a book it's like okay wait so that's where the kitchen is and then the living room like that's kind of the fun of like mapping out and kind of like casting the roles of these characters. I mean, that's uh Yeah. You know, no one's saying this, but reading actually <sighs> takes a lot of imagination and yeah, um,
0: is good. Concentration.
1: Maybe? Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it can be fun. It like, can be multiple fun. Multiple
0: media can exist. Film doesn't just replace reading doesn't just replace right and like i feel like
1: no one's saying this right now like no one's talking about
0: all right all right (laughs) (laughs) screw you then we'll get back on topic um you mentioned nope a connection i didn't make but totally resonates immediately um but in case people didn't read it and we shame them for proceeding but we can't stop it um what was the story about quickly in a nutshell sarah
1: Okay, so the story is about this extraterrestrial vessel that arrives in New York one afternoon. It captures the imagination of everybody, including a man called Bart Chester, who is like this (laughs) failed producer, kind of down on his luck, showman, a real kind of like Barker. Um, I'm thinking like old-timey circus vaudeville kind of shit. Uh, Anyway, this vessel appears. It causes all these sorts of pandemonium chester sees this as an investment opportunity he immediately sees where he can start making money on making this a sideshow and to his luck and to everyone's amazement this vessel opens up and uh weird extraterrestrial like barely corporeal forms come out of this vessel and put together like this ritual that just has everybody enchanted for like three hours at a time. Uh, They come to think of this as the performance. The performance Mm -hmm, happens mm -hmm. every day at the same time in New York. Um, Bart Chester sees this as a money-making opportunity. He gets a group of investors that he knows to give him some money. And with that money, he builds um, box seats, first row seats, merchandise, uh, brochures, whatever. He finds a way to capitalize on these performances that happen every single day, that seemingly go on like clockwork, everything's working out mm-hmm. fine. Uh, cut to six years into the run of the performance, um, these extraterrestrials start to um, eat people because I guess this whole time they've never stopped to take a break and um, take care of themselves. So that's that's the uh, that's SRO standing room only.
0: S-R-O, oh yeah that's right um twist spoiled I heard your hesitance but yeah that's what we do you know here what? that's why it's we say hey you should have read it exactly yeah. yeah so yeah the twist and most sci-fi short stories end with a twist of that's course. why I love them yeah so um I don't know I got the impression they fed off applause in some way like the it like Pennywise but instead of fear it's like adulation. And then there's just a point where that reaches diminishing returns and they're like, all right, let's eat these motherfuckers and <laughs> they go for it. <laughs> um, or that's their ritualized way of who knows, right? It leaves a lot open for interpretation. Right. It could be um, in their culture before you invade a planet, it's polite to do this show and that makes you feel like you're not doing I don't know. There's so many explanations you could pull out. But uh, I do want to say for people who uh, want to read along, I guess it was just spoiled, so I should have said this before. Um, but it, if you want to find this story specifically, it was first published in 1957 in a magazine. So you can't find that version likely. Um, and I mentioned that because it's one of his earliest short stories. And I mentioned that cause I'm sure it's going to come up later that this writing is now s- like he writes stories in the, up to the eighties and nineties and two thousands, of course, but this is like hokey. Do you agree? <laughs> like it's hokey ass dialogue. Yeah. Like they're saying like, "Boy, chowder. This is gonna be crackerjack and shit like that."
1: Yeah, I I got the vibe that like that is this character again. That's why I use the term Barker to describe him. Like, yeah. I first of all, I I do love when an author writes dialect into the dialogue of the character. Um, I actually the short stories I like to read are by Mark Twain, and he's full of that. Like mm-hmm. every word is yeah, spelled phonetically. Of so I I, I kind of like to hear kind of like what the character sounds like. And when they do that, it's a nice little clue. Uh, but yeah, I think he's just one of those like, say mister types. I don't know.
0: And uh, nowadays, you can find it in the collection, The Beast That Shouted Love at the Heart of the World. Also, people listening should know that I tweet ahead of time who my guest is going to be and what story we're going to talk about. So follow me at Swaim underscore Corp on Twitter and you'll be one step ahead of the game. And I usually also tweet a link to a giant PDF I found called The Essential Ellison that has almost every story we're going to discuss on the show in it. So it's also in there. Okay, back to the juicy discussion. Um, this is probably going to be the easiest one ever on the show so far, but why do you think I paired this story specifically with you, Sarah?
1: Yeah, I'm a theater kid.
0: That's right. Um, we, I feel like it's fair to say... Totally get along, really like talking to you, but we're not like best bosom buddies, but one thing I know is you're a theater kid. Exactly. So I was like, who better to talk about SRO with? And SRO has stuck with me since I was a little kid. Um, I think because I'm a theater kid as well, I just thought it was such an interesting application of this kind of twist. Also, I've seen you eat a human being, but that's something we should talk about.
1: That's kind of a spoiler for Casting the Curious later this year. We'll get to that.
0: Yeah. So I'll combine uh, the next two questions and ask like, so was this a wild out of character off brand thing for Sarah to do to sit down and read a science fiction short story from the late 50s? Or uh, historically, like, have you read a lot of sci fi or what's your I know you love sci fi film. um, But what's your like reading sci fi history? And in that context, like, what was your big impression of this story? Like, I don't know. How'd you like
1: it? Yeah, you know, um, I'll read anything, truly. Uh, Uh. The last science fiction thing I read actually was a book I read earlier this year. And it's a bit of a spoiler to say it even becomes sci-fi. It was a book called A Touch of Jen. A Touch of Jen by, I think, Beth Harmon. Um, And I've read a few books like that recently that are contemporary and it's like about modern issues and modern people and then at the end there's like a sci-fi turn um but i am not uh, a cloverfield
0: lane if you will
1: yeah yeah but sci-fi shorts i nothing comes to mind i will say uh ellison wrote The Star Trek episode, City on the Edge of Forever, Uh which I am familiar with, and that is a banger. (laughs) And then when I was thinking about it, I was like, you know, I don't really read a lot of sci-fi short stories, but I have seen a lot of Star Trek. And in a way, an episode of Star Trek is like a sci-fi short story.
0: (laughs) Oh, that is why it's. Um, I'm not going to say the best ever like show ever made like intellectually or whatever, that might be the wire and have to think about it. Right. But sure. um, my favorite show that everyone in my life associates me with and knows that it's my thing that it comforts me the most is definitely Star Trek. And I realized only this year, I think that I was like, Oh, of course i like star trek better than because i kept trying new shows that are in the same vein like the expanse yeah. and stuff but they require a different kind of focus because now we do serialized stories so i actually have to be like um over seven episodes i have to remember what that character's deal is and their ongoing right. story threads and there's something actually comforting about how i can know that it's self-contained like x-files star trek the way it's now considered kind of hokey, but I hope it makes a comeback because I really like... Yeah,
1: Doctor Who does... That you're like, this is a sci-fi short
0: story and it's done.
1: Yeah, like they have some episodes that are like beautifully self-contained and it's like, this is so easy for... Like Star Trek and Doctor Who are great because there's a lot of episodes, but it's easy to be like, well, watch this one, which is a completely contained thing and you can get the idea whether or not you want to like commit yourself further. Doctor Who has become much more um uh, overarching themes and they, they've they developed more into like a proper tv show but that's another mm-hmm. talk or about modern. sci-fi short Let's story because i, cause I yeah. think
0: both forms definitely have something to offer um i feel like the short form fiction and anthology fiction are like you know black mirror also qualifies as what we're talking about um the successes tend to be based around an idea and you go, that's such a clever idea or wow, that idea really hit me in the feels or whatever. And then um, serialized is more like, I like this character and I want to ride along with them for a while. And most, as a story, as a lifelong storyteller, i found most people actually come to story mostly to get to know characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a minority of people who like, I just give me the idea and the characters can all die at the end. That's yeah. fine of the episode or, you know, it's whatever services your idea. Go for it. I want to know what your hook is, man. What's your hook? Um, so uh, we talked about it a little, but uh, I'll, I'll keep this real brief, but I um, Yeah, if you don't... Because you said mainly your knowledge is through... He wrote for TV. He also wrote for Twilight Zone quite a bit. Um, But I think that's the only Star Trek he wrote. But it's considered, like, one of the best episodes of the original series. And um, I think it's interesting to note that he had, you know, a 50- or 60-year career and flowed with the times. and definitely grew. So we'll be covering, like, stories later, like... um, uh i think it's called the space between which now sounds so stupid because <laughs> of the creed song but uh who you know it was 20 years before yeah, that right um the region between no it's not so bad the region between but anyway shit where he like writes in a spiral and it's super psychedelic and he you know there's like foreign language in it you have to translate so like he gets really weird but um this one is like a super button down, straightforward. This happens and this happens and this happens. And as we said, mm-hmm. um, with like the dialect example. So I just wanted to ask, was there anything that jumped out at you? I anticipated you'd think it's corny, but you said you liked it. So like, let's dig into that for a minute.
1: I mean, it's it's corny in the way that, yeah, I do expect most short stories to have some like final paragraph, final sentence. And it's like... And they were real people all along. Or some fucking, you know, like, yeah, I guess corny in that way. Uh,
0: You know a twist has to come. Right. Like, I knew the
1: other shoe was going to drop. But what is great about the medium of a short story is that it's not going to dick me around for too long. It's like, I know it's coming, but I don't have to wait too long. So I can just kind of, like, say yes to whatever it is I'm reading. uh, You had also asked me prior to this episode, like, you know, hey, like, as you're reading, like, can you think, like, what's going to happen next? And I didn't really have to worry about that because I know it's only like a few pages long, so it's like, all right, I can just, like, park it here and just let this unfold, and I don't mm-hmm. have to worry too much about reading between the lines because it's not going to take me too long to mm-hmm. know what... Is gonna happen? So you didn't
0: you didn't guess the ending preemptively?
1: Uh, I just kind of knew like I bet something sick. Or you like something bad? (laughs) I was like, I bet it's gonna be some shit. Again, I just read this book, Touch of Jen, and I did not care for it in the end because the ending just like kind of collapsed in on itself, and in the last 40 pages, I went through like 10 different ideas of how it was going to end, and each of those 10 endings that I came up with, I thought were better than what actually ended up, so coming off of a book that had like a disappointing ending to this, which is such a strong, um, compact piece of writing, yeah, I was like, I'm taking a fucking vacation here, I'm just going to let this unfold, and I'm just gonna read this in real time and not try to think too much, which ultimately uh led for a great reading experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah, just going with it. Um, so if believe it or not, there's reviews of short stories. So, like in 19, so I found a review of this short story from 1957 when it came out. Because sci-fi short stories were like akin to were like somewhere between radio plays and television shows like they filled that same you know there was a time where they were a dominant form of like how to kill time and entertain yourself was to read a short story and wow i never thought of that yeah totally and um they full-on got reviewed and shit and had whole magazines that just reviewed and told you which short stories you should read and uh all the reviews and since some like you know essays on ellison mostly talk about sro and about the POV like how that's like the main tool he's using here so I want to ask and again I'm sort of melding some questions that I sent you together here but I think this will just make it more interesting um why do you do you think it's effective and what did you get from the fact that it's from specifically Bart Chester's POV like why not Eloise's POV or why not a god POV where he just describes what happened and says like the crowd came in car, you know carnival barkers set up shops then the aliens ate them Um, why do, why are we on the ground with Bart Chester? Why is Bart Chester a, in entertainment, like in the business side of showbiz? Um, what did you get from all that? And did you think it was effective?
1: Um, before I say anything, I do want to, again, say how much the story reminded me of Nope. And that actually impacted, I think the framework of, of what I was, you know, let me, let me say it a different way. Um, because I was already familiar with the themes and so much of the storytelling of Nope, I kind of just brought that lens with me with this story unconsciously. Um, because my big takeaway from this short story, I mean, it's a it's a comment on capitalism, on commercialization, I think through Bert's lens, Bert, Bart's lens, <laughs> um, he sees these performers as a commodity. Uh, And I think that is a compelling lens to see this through because I believe this is how, unfortunately a lot of people probably would see this. I kind of think of it as like, um, kind of like our relations with animals, animals like, giraffes Mm. and elephants animals that might be exotic to you and me because we might
0: want to look at or right because they're not in our
1: backyard (laughs) some people have the reaction to shoot it with a gun some people have the reaction to respect these animals some people have the reaction to want to ride these animals and you know own these animals and what are their motivations you know that is actually something dare i say compelling about tiger king where it's like well, is it ethical to own these animals at all? Even if you are quote unquote rehabilitating them, like what does that even mean? Uh, And so I think for something that is vague, like these performances, like these performers, I mean, even the way they're described within the text, they're kind of, they're like not corporeal. Like they're ephemeral. Is that the term I'm looking for? Like they're, it's almost, yes. It's almost impossible to describe what it is. Um, and so it is important that we are hearing, we're, we're experiencing the story through a persp- perspective that we can attach to. And the perspective that Bart has that we as the audience of this book then adopt is one of commercialization, even like labor exploitation, which is kind of the final beat mm-hmm. of the story that they were starving artists, which that's a little on the nose, <laughs> a little fucking yeah. cute, but- I mean,
0: starving artist at the end. Then they uh, right.
1: Everyone. Uh, but that's the truth. That is the truth of the matter. So, um, I think experiencing the story through Bart's point of view gives us the point of view of like this is what it is like to be this kind of person to be, to to see everything in the world as a commodity. That like, even before he has thought, are these things here to kill us or not? Because I think a lot of people's first instinct would be, is this dangerous? Almost immediately, he identifies this as a way to make money, which is, yeah. again, a similar beat in Nope. That's like, hey, you know, we can make money off of this thing, right. even if we yeah. can't, even if we can't capture it, even if we can't make it sign a contract, even if we can't force it into a cage. There is still a way to profit off of just the support structure, s- even though something the show's that free. is undefined, right. like like a true yeah. natural wonder of the world, we can still find a way to profit off of it, and I think. That is the comment Ellison's making, and we have to have Bart's perspective because only a character as greedy and, dare I say, selfish as Bart would see dollar signs as soon as he sees a fucking extraterrestrial something. Like, we can't even fully define what it is.
0: Well, it's also wild that it runs for six years and, like, no one tries to communicate back with them and there aren't, like, teams of scientists there, which... He kind of writes around because it's implied that they have us in some kind of thrall, right? Like anyone who approaches. It's mesmerizing. um, It mesmerizes you out to like a wide radius. But I still wonder what's going on in the rest of the world, I guess, or how the rest of the world is reacting now that they know extraterrestrial life is real and it's here. Like, what are they doing in France about this? What do they think? But the story obviously doesn't go there. Um, And it like fudges like that reality of what would actually happen because they're there for six years. It just seems a long time, but anyway, um, yeah. It mesmerizes you and it puts stories in your head and every time it's the same stories and they find the stories like wonderful and awe-inspiring and ennobling and shit. And, um, I think it's, uh, I use the word ennobling specifically because people who heard last episode and I did not do this on purpose. (laughs) Um, we covered a story called on the slab, about a natural wonder that immediately gets commercialized by a crass Barker type guy. And I'll just say this. I did a whole show with a guy named Alex Schmidt and we covered all of Vonnegut and it did make me realize tricks that Vonnegut uses multiple mm. times that are sort of his thing. And it did make me go, okay, well, he's not like magic to me anymore, but he's still a very good writer. And I hope that's not already happening with Harlan Ellison. Oh, but, no. um, but it is very similar to on the slab with the exception that I think on the slab is about God, our relationship to God. Yeah. This is not, this is totally about our relationship to entertainment and acting specifically. Yes. Um, although it does make me wonder the way it's set up. Like, what if the aliens do this play and they're trying to communicate with us? Like that's their method of communication and no one ever responds to them and they do it for six years and no one responds. And they're like, I guess these are mindless animals because they never responded. So it's okay to eat them. There's many ways you could like interpret what's going on. Um, Yeah. So, okay. I want to dig into what I think the story is really about, which is acting. We've kind of covered like Bart Chester represents, right? Which I kind of agree with. I mean, I'm living it. Um, Let me know if you disagree. But, like, show business is very much a business. The money actually really matters. All these, you know, half of it is making money, and most of it is designed to make money. So, like, even though there's that magical kernel of I want to be an artist and exist in this plane of, like, feeling and emotion and expression, which is there, there's, like, a huge bunch of bullshit around it that's designed to make money.
1: Yeah, I always think, I mean, like the history of even theater, you know, it's always been a way that we've communicated with one another and I do fundamentally believe art and capital do not mix and we yeah, have been, yeah. we have like this perverse, we have to mix them because like fundamentally we all have to make money in order to live Um, the way our society is set up. Oh Christ, oh, the way our society is set up. Have to be- but you know what I mean? Like it, <laughs> It, it it's unfortunate that they do have to make bedfellows but they do not make good ones because i think fundamentally mm-hmm. it's the, the opposite like they these two things are fire and water
0: well show business especially when it comes to executive producers and actors who really become you know globally famous um there's like a one per. it's almost an exaggerated microcosm of the problem with capitalism in america right now writ large like I don't know if I would love to crunch the numbers and see if it's even more or less extreme. But if you just took like everyone who's trying to break into, quote unquote, the industry and measured all their salaries, um, people th- kind of think of it as a high paying job. But that's like 005 percent of actors yeah. make ninety nine point eight percent of the money. Most actors or And look at what's happening with the A.I. art. That's a more complicated, nuanced discussion because capitalism's the real problem there as well. But um, most artists are scraping by s- such that, you know, an advent of something like a art completely wrecks their ability yeah. to make ends meet using art. Like art is not lucrative <laughs> for the most part. Um, and then the exceptions, of course, are like exaggeratingly or exaggeratedly the other way. Um, okay. I want to, so I know you've done theater and I know you've been filmed, um, and done both repeatedly. So without, I guess, skipping over the stuff that I do feel like people know, like, you know, the difference is, uh, shooting on film is a bunch of standing around and wait and hurry up and wait, but I'm talking about the moments you're actually acting, right? Mm. I just want to talk about like, is there magic in that to you? What attracts you to acting and keep doing it? Do you get a different feeling acting on stage than acting on not the systems, not the rehearsal and the differences of the culture, but like, you know, the acting part? Does it feel? Yeah. And do you use different tactics in each case?
1: Uh, yeah, no, it really is a feeling. It really is the feeling like when I'm acting on stage, I actively am feeling the audience. The audience is actively feeling me. I. I can hear the audience even when they're not making a sound. I'm obviously not, I mean, I'm acting. I'm obviously paying attention to what I'm doing in the scene, who I'm talking to, where I'm standing, whatever. Uh, But it's almost like we're sharing a collective breath and just like you don't think about every time you inhale and exhale, it's the same. It it like the audience becomes a part of me in 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 like that way where it's like I don't even have to co- like consciously think about them. We are collectively together. There's a harmony. Something that Ellison writes about with the performance is that these performers. Um, Bart describes it as like he knew their names and he knew what they were like and what they. And how they knew each other, like, almost instantly, without word at all, he knew how they all connect with one another and how the story and how this performance makes sense. I think that's so true uh, when you're watching a play. A character, just by the way they walk on stage, you're like, oh, yeah, 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 no. Like, before a character has even said a word, yeah, I understand. I kind of get it. Oh, he's, like, older and tired cranky he's you know he's got a limp or always the way he's walking like you can you can feel that energy it's not just a visual cue there's for lack of a better word a vibe there there really is a vibe there really is a harmony um when you can speak words and you can hear the words echo back in a stage in the Mm. audience um it really is a shared collective experience. I feel very strongly about that. And then when you're working on camera, it's more of an individual experience there. I don't necessarily have an audience that I'm vibing with. Like, yes, there are people on set. Yes. I can feel the energy of the other actor and the director. And I can even kind of feel like, oh yeah, like, the guy holding the boom like i real he was really watching me like i can feel that energy but also mm. like some people when they're working on set if they're watching me act they're not doing their job so i can't d- like ask for the attention i can't say like hey are we all paying attention at all feeling the same way i'm feeling cuz that's the same thing too like on stage the audience we are feeling things together when i'm acting on camera i am feeling the- things yeah. the
0: bulk of the audience is feeling whatever the play wants them to feel. And we're all feeling it together at the same time in concert.
1: And then on camera, like in terms of how an audience is going to watch me on a screen, I just have to have faith that what I am putting out and what I am experiencing can be relatable and translatable. And kind of the scary thing with that is that I have to let that go because I can't feel the audience with me. I don't know how they're going to respond. When I'm on stage, I'm like, this is going to get a laugh. People are going to be shocked at that. That's going to be a moment like I can predict and because I know this is what I'm leading the audience to. But on camera, I don't have that power because I'm not, I'm not even fucking editing the thing. Like, I don't even know <laughs> what the audience is or is not going to see. So it's more like yeah. creating a piece of art and putting it in a museum. Well, or film and theater
0: are among the most collaborative mediums. So I think when you enter them, you already have to let go of a lot, right? Like you're at the whim True. of so many factors, writing, lighting, how they edit True, it, but I feel strongly in a good way. Yeah. when
1: I'm on stage, I'm like a shepherd and you I can lead control. people. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter what the water looks like or where it is. I can bring people to that on camera. I just have to have trust that I can... Make that connection through literal time and space. Yeah, to make Um, the
0: piece of art effective, I would actually argue that the actor is bearing more weight and is more crucial in a theater context than a film context, which is funny because, you know, I know you can, but listener, like name five famous actors of the stage right now okay now name 50 famous like movie people and you totally I feel can. strongly that even ones who don't put in good performances exactly i was i like just him anyway say, <laughs>
1: you don't have to be a good actor to be an on-camera actor because no so not long as, as good yeah. so long as you're likable
0: you yeah likability can do it but on stage um, you have, you have you to you like have,
1: create that likability
0: is uh do you have stage fright at all because i do have some more on stage and less on film. And I wanna
1: know if that's the same. The same uh, no, I feel None. so much more comfortable in front of people because again, oh. i they are exhaling the same air that I'm inhaling. Like yeah. we are together. <laughs> we really are together.
0: are being slopped in and one bucket.
1: Normally when I'm in front of an audience, we all have a common interest and a common goal. And I know what they're here to see.
0: Well, they're self-selecting. Ideally they wouldn't be there unless they're passingly interested in theater and the play in question. Right. So it's a good, you're set up for success at least in that way. Um, although, I mean, when I did, when I majored in theater in undergrad, we have got the thing where the front two rows are very rich, very old people who come to every show and fall asleep. And that was sometimes disheartening. Um, but the other thing that stands out to me about the difference uh, of the two experiences, and I wonder if it resonates and even if it doesn't, that's even more interesting to me. Um, but I have a very, very busy mind that never shuts up. And it's like my lifelong goal to stop like looping intrusive thoughts and stuff mm-hmm. and be able to stop thinking in meditation. I mean, I'm still trying it, but it like I'm still mostly loop- thinking the whole time. Yeah. Like it kind of works. Not great for me, though. And then um, but one time my meditation app guy was like, you know, a visualization where you place yourself. When was the last time or what was the space where you did feel like your mind was quiet and restful? And I realized it's um, from the second I if I've rehearsed the piece well, which I mm. usually do because I'm an prepare. Um, from the second I step on stage to the second I leave stage, my mind is completely calm. And even the stage fright immediately goes away. And I'm just focused on being there with the people. And I trust that we did it 50 times. Like I know what to do. I am thinking thoughts like, am I getting my light? Oh, I have to do this next. But somehow my mind does feel like it has a lot of space. And then on film, not at all. I feel like I'm at almost like a day at the office. My thoughts are basically normal. I feel like myself, which means my mind is very busy because you spend a lot of time just standing around talking with your friends. So you're already... I just feels normal. Like it just feels like a day at the office to me. Yeah, Yeah. no,
1: I I totally... uh, For me, what it is is the difference between stepping over the threshold of backstage to being on stage and being in the show versus not (sighs) in the show. It's a rush. The difference between being on set and then being on my mark and we're about to start rolling is that when I'm acting, it's not about me. It's about me the whole time I'm backstage, getting ready. I'm thinking, what am I going to do? What if this happens to me? I, 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 And then as soon as I'm on stage, it's literally not about me in any way, shape or form. It's about who I, the character. It's about respecting the story. It is also about like caring that the audience gives a fuck because that's, Something I was kind of known for in college was reminding people, like, you know, people have to watch this shit, you know, like, just keep that in mind when you're speaking at seven miles per hour and milking every word within an inch of your life. Like, people do have homes that they have to get back to. Um, and then same with when I'm acting on camera, it's like, it's it stops being about me. It's like, I care about I, like oh, do I have this hair in my mouth? Um, last looks. Am I standing right? Does this is this gonna make me look thin on camera? Am I help and keep action. us on schedule? Yeah. yeah, and then action. I don't have to think about any of that shit anymore because it doesn't matter.
0: Do the thing. Yeah, but I. It still feels more like doing a physical thing. You practice like gymnastics or whatever. When I'm on film, um, I think
1: it's. I think it's acting like, and okay, sports it's is time, very similar. Do the
0: thing. Oh yeah, interesting. Same I name.
1: I think this is why I like sports. Um, and I would I could even make the argument that sports is art, um, because I think it requires a similar discipline. Um, you know, you've seen they athletes, should just
0: call it sports, and it should refer to both uh, and fund both yeah. of
1: them equally. And look at that. Uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you hear these athletes. Miked up or like after interviews like yeah you know just went out there to have a really good game but like on the field it's like i you you were an animal you know what i mean it's like it's a different
0: being in the zone and, and like
1: how you can overcome the mental like you are gonna throw a javelin right now to maybe win an olympic gold fucking metal that you've sacrificed everything in your entire life for this moment. How right, do you answer that moment? You. How yeah. do you get in that zone and are able to pull together that focus? Because just like you and I are talking about like being on stage, being on camera, some people would sooner fucking jump off a bridge before they ever did anything like what we're talking about in the same way. Mm-hmm. I'd sooner jump off a bridge before I'd ran a marathon, but it it's a, it's a discipline and I think anyone is capable of doing it, but the people who are capable of doing it well, it's like for lack of a better term, it's like a real magic. It's like a spell. It's like this this level of hyper focus that almost goes beyond scientific explanation. It's like they are just good at that thing. Like, um, mm-hmm. I saw people joking about, like, I guess Lionel Messi has autism. And it's like, that's why he's good at soccer, because his mind is capable of just zeroing in on just soccer, on just football. And because he has that high level of concentration, it doesn't matter that he's not the physically most strongest athlete or most, like his agility doesn't matter. He, it's the focus that ultimately matters, and that's yeah. what makes him a champion. And I think that's well, true you- of all artists. It's it's not necessarily even your abilities. It's that Ability to fucking focus and just, like, drop into it.
0: Well, that's why now, uh, you know, that word got out, and now people are fielding, like, whole teams where everyone on the team's neurodivergent, and they slay on the field, but then in the locker room, it's a it's a nightmare.
1: Yeah, and I, like... Like, a whole I, team
0: of people with borderline? Oh, no good.
1: Yeah, well, I also think that's why, like, you know, actors and other artists get the bad rep for being, like, fucking wacky crazy, and it's like, okay, but some of the shit these performers are doing, yeah, that is, like, beyond a normal human mind or a neurotypical human mind. The bulk of people would not
0: seek out that experience, yeah.
1: Yeah, like, it it makes... Yeah, because it requires, like, that that hyper-focus. It really does. I've really come to appreciate hyper-focus as something that can be a beautiful Mm -hmm. thing.
0: Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, mindfulness, I feel like, overlaps with that. Um, And... That mindfulness, when you bring that level of focus to another actor uh, on stage, but not when I'm filming, I find you also get uh, there's a level of shared emotional intimacy because you're walking a tightrope together that you rehearse together where it doesn't matter if you. You in most cases, right, the show ends and you never talk to that person again or you're not particularly close, but they're fine. Like you have nothing against them. But like in that moment, it's so intimate. It's like you're lovers. Like if you're doing an intense scene with an acting partner. Yeah, it's very vulnerable.
1: Yes, it can be embarrassing. Like I that is something I say often, like as much as I love acting, as much as I don't have a problem with this. Fundamentally, it's embarrassing. (laughs)
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah it is like y- it is not what a lot of people would think of as comforting
0: it is to be ashamed of no um all well, right I mean, i'm gonna sometimes. take us i i think that was great uh thank you for those insights but now i'm gonna take us into silly territory but questions i think are just as vital if not more yeah no no um, no
1: these were thinking if you
0: if you could only go to one show and you knew that at the end the performers of the show were going to eat you um what kind of show would you want to see you could pick a real show or you can just say like a kind of show
1: i would like to see something extravagant and shallow and ultimately foreign um Mm -hmm. because if the end ritual is all of us die at the end i can at least be like oh well i guess that's just the tradition of these people you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. i could justify it <laughs> if if it's, like, it's part of the
0: show. Oh, well, this like, is. Like, if it makes sense like, at the end if, of the show. If
1: you could spin me some yarn, like, oh, you know, this, I mean, much like the plot. So of you Cats, just want
0: consistency.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, like, you just
0: want the story to wrap it, up. If,
1: if it's the last thing I'm ever going to see, like, I want to see a true spectacle. I don't want to mm-hmm. see, like, a thinker or, you know, it doesn't even have to right, be. Right. Like, I'm actually, like, not to think of a movie, but rrr R, R. it's like yeah show me like a 3 hour like romantic spectacle uh and something from a group of people let's say that maybe i'm unfamiliar with mm-hmm. and then at the end it's like well okay i guess this is just like what it is it yeah. is you actually make me realize
0: if it was like a poignant like if i'm looking at it from that context i'm going to die at the end of this i want to say then planet earth or a nature documentary but that's not live so
1: but I don't want but anything right. to remind me of humanity. You know what I mean? No. And I feel like when I watch something poignant, emotionally poignant, I leave like, wow, I'm thinking about the people in my life, the experiences of my life. If I'm going to die, I'd rather not think about my own mortality because uh, that I don't want to live the last few seconds of my life thinking like, wait, I don't want to die. I want to see something that is like, actually, what I'm describing is the Jellicle ball. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Somebody, go. somebody does die at the end of that.
0: Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, I just mean, because nature's my favorite pretty thing to look at. Um, but I think I'd probably actually pick the Hal Holbrook one man show where he plays Mark Twain, because it would be funny to that. Hal Holbrook has to eat me at the end all by himself. Oh, I hadn't like, even oh, thought about that. Here we go physical you know, eat be part so yeah. yeah yeah i
1: picture like a really big cast and i'd be overcome like the last it, it of would us. be easy they yeah. just
0: split you up real quick each one gets a bite yeah um or an animal show could work of course the eating part would be, be more sensible all mm-hmm. right moving on um if a bunch of giant aliens came down and just started like doing a doing performance art um how do, how do you think we would really that would go in today's modern society
1: um i mean immediately gunfire i think immediately i
0: think we'd attack them right away
1: right we'd yeah, nuke the city un- or something and unfortunate and that's unfortunate <laughs> again kind of like what i talked about with elephants like i definitely think there will be people that will be like whoa 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 hang on like you shouldn't have this done is that. beautiful and we should respect right. and you know but i think there's too late there's gonna be that backlash but i yeah i just think like and not even before the government can get involved like Surely people in New York have guns and would gladly unload onto some extraterrestrial being. I I feel like that is unfortunately the the human response to something you don't understand is uh, bullets a lot of the time.
0: Like if they refuse to communicate and they're exhibiting signs of controlling the minds of the populace, I feel like someone's gonna shoot at that. At yeah, some point. I,
1: I almost think immediately, like almost as soon as yeah. we can see it, it's gonna be gunfire.
0: Or like a quick attempt by NASA to communicate, and then it's like they're not responding. Okay, then shoot at them. <laughs> like I think it would happen that quickly. Yeah. Um. Uh. I'm gonna skip the next one because I realize no answer will actually be truly funny or insightful. Um, Dumb question. But last but not least, if humans had to make alien contact, so you know that extraterrestrial life for the first time will become aware of Earth and our culture and society. But uh, the only way you can is you're going to send a theater troupe to in a rocket, and they're going to perform their one show like what show would you send?
1: Musical,
0: straight play, what would we send? It represents Earth, Sarah. (laughs) I've thought
1: about this a lot, and I have also spent a lot of time researching the Golden Record Oh, right, of course. Um, That we sent
0: into space to hopefully communicate with aliens, yes.
1: And the contents of that has really informed my thinking here. I have two answers. If it is a matter of life and death... I would actually go with Stomp because
0: nice. there's
1: no language Threaten
0: the aliens.
1: Uh there well, listen, it's music. It's an aggressive show. It's music, though. There's no yeah. language that is as universal as the language of music. It demonstrates that we are complex, dynamic creatures with brains. We are – my effort in saving humanity and sending Stomp is that this would show to the aliens that, like, we are intelligent life forms, and this is what we can create from scratch. Um, yeah. It does imply
0: a lot about us without having to say speech. Exactly. It's
1: it's basically like we can do math. And that's what I'm proving with Stomp. So then –
0: if, if you did pick a show with any lines at all, that would let them know that we communicate so, via spoken language. Isn't that useful information? Uh,
1: well, I mean, so this is so that would be like life. We have one opportunity to prove to these sure. people that we are worth living. Um, if for I was the record, send, I did
0: not say in the question that they're going to destroy Earth. I was thinking of a peaceful. Well, communication listen, that's why I have,
1: I have my second answer. If mm-hmm. this is just for you know hey this is who we are this is what we've got um not a very sophisticated answer but i'm going to go with the lion king because mm. visually very interesting dynamic i think it shows the human imagination what we're capable of um i think the novelty has worn off but remember when that show first came out Yeah, uh, no, and Julie yeah. Taymor the
0: one she art directed yeah Julie yes. Taymor's a legit genius Yeah, even though Because Lion King's a Disney thing where, like, that was just some commercial musical. Uh, Julie is actually, like, legit. Brilliant. Uh, Also,
1: I don't think that there is a living, intelligent creature in this universe that would not succumb to the circle of life. Like it's beautiful. That says it. That says it it right there. Like, and even and it's a story
0: from Africa where mankind originated. I like that.
1: Right. Like even and and the music is just fucking good. Like again, I oh, and it's got
0: Hamlet. It's got Hamlet baked into it. So they're getting Shakespeare.
1: Like it's (laughs) it's it's kind of a silly answer because yeah, it's like oh, Disney fucking musical. But like, I think it says a lot about humanity. And it is a story that we have been drawn to in fiction time and time and time and time again.
0: Totally. Disney plus Hamlet plus familial interactivity plus like our belief in spiritual duality because Mufasa comes back as a cloud. Our, the circle of life as a concept. It's got spoken it's language. It's spiritual. It's dance. logical.
1: It's scientific. It's mathematical. Yeah, it's got
0: impressive craft. It's, yeah, it's artistry. Good, it's true artistry it? yeah. from
1: top to bottom, Yeah.
0: And I'm saying that saying like, that's not even my favorite musical no, I would no, go I would see, not, number one with a book. No, no. But fuck good no. choice still for the aliens. Yeah.
1: I think it's uh, just, it's an E, if someone's like, I've never seen a broad, I've never seen a musical before a day yeah, in refuse, my life. I will
0: only see one. Yeah, yeah. I would, yeah, I'd
1: be like, well, The Lion King is easy to watch. Shit. You don't mm-hmm, really have to think yeah. hard about that one. And it is good. I, You know.
0: True. All right. That takes us to Harlan's parlance a segment based around the fact that those words almost rhyme. Uh, I like it. Do you, did you, were there any lines, specific lines that stood out to you? Because the reason Harlan Ellison is my favorite author is twofold. I'm a junkie for sci-fi stories with good twists. And he, over this 50, 60 years, he wrote many, many good hooks and twists Mm. lie therein. Um, And, I find that he actually has insights that resonate also in the like, wow, that's actually mind-blowing or that applies to my life. Wow, I never thought about that. Um, but then also the aspect that I actually just think his sentences, language or his language sentence to sentence. Like, I think he's an incredible craftsman, a la Julie Taymor, but with writing, like his construction of words. Yeah. Um, I have to note that this story is not one of the reasons I think that <laughs> per se. I mean, 1957 is very early in his career, but... That said, were there lines that stood out to you that you might want to throw out?
1: Yeah, uh, not necessarily dialogue. Yeah, I mean, this is not like a crazily written piece. I think it's pretty much right. like this happens, this happens, this happens. But But um, I did enjoy, I, I have a whole little paragraph here, the description of the performers doing the performance. Um, he says he could never quite describe what they were. And the only thing he knew for certain was that they were beautiful. The lines were suspended in air and of colors he had never known existed. They were parallel and cross streamers that lived between the reds and blues of earth. I really love that description because it's kind of hard. Like the easy way to say it is like he was watching something he had never seen before but specifically the lines that lived between the reds and blues of earth. Like we are seeing something that is beyond description because we as humans could not even fathom that something like this could exist.
0: In this moment, the words are demanding that you work your imagination as hard as you can. Like imagine something incomprehensible is the offer. And you're like, wow. I often
1: think about how like, what that human beings for a long time couldn't see the color blue or some shit like that right. like
0: because they weren't consciously differentiating it from gray is right. The like yeah. it's
1: it's not that we've never seen anything before. We have never consciously seen this before seen it that way. yeah, yeah uh, it's hard to write great a yeah. science fiction description of like, which again, why nope was kind of helpful to think of because it was like, well, I can kind of picture that. um. Yeah. But, but well, I feel like um, H.P. Lovecraft got
0: the hang of it. And then that's all he did. That's basically yes. his one trick is to say something. It's so hard to describe that you'll have to imagine it. I can't even describe it. That's like his main deal and being racist.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: Mm-hmm. But sorry, I cut you off. Did you have a final thought?
1: Uh, no, I yeah, I was just going to reiterate, like it, it's so hard in science fiction to try to describe something that literally does not exist. Um, or feels
0: truly alien. Yeah,
1: yeah but this really, th- that that passage and and further descriptions of the vessel and the performance itself, uh, like, really illustrates in like not a dump, like, no, I promise you've never seen anything like this before. But it really is like, I, I get the sense that we as humans watching this performance, we're trying to contextualize it, but there's just nothing to contextualize it with
0: right i mean it's like writing when you're trying to write a brilliant scientist who's smarter than you are because you're just a writer um a good way to do that is to not fully describe the science because you can't because it's not real so i feel it's funny that he's like they put on a show so good that all of earth is mesmerized for six years what happens in the show well i can't really describe it but it is so good that earth is mesmerized for six years and you're like okay I, you know, that's like you just got to buy that for the sake of the story, I think. Um, all right. I'll rattle off a few. I liked people jostled him and a knot began to form as though he were a catalyst for some chemical action. Gives me a great view of mm. there's a show that sadly got canceled after one season that Abe and I really like called Manhattan. The intro sequence shows one scientist entering a room and then many more gathering around him. And you realize that as the shot zooms up that they're replicating atoms densifying to start an atomic explosion. Cause it's about the Manhattan project. And I always thought that was such a clever connection of that image to that image is like Manhattan project was bringing a bunch of people together densely. And so is making an atomic bomb. And, uh, this is like the same visual, but I'm mm-hmm. like, I still love that visual, uh, and shut my mouth. Cause apparently I forgot they put snipers on the roof and the army is there. They just never attack. So uh, as we find out in this quote, after three weeks, the army was called away from around the ship, which had done nothing but produce the performance regularly each evening to quell a prison riot in Minnesota. I love that that sentence could have ended without saying the last thing. Um, That's just like the cynical fucking. That's so Harlan Ellison. Yeah. He is also very snide and cynical. And I love that he threw in that barb that like. He could have just said the army was withdrawn because they seemed not to be a threat. But he's like, oh, no, they had to go imp- oppress incarcerated people. I'm like, that's just very Harlan. Um, the ultimate example of me going, all right, language changes. This is corny as hell now is uh, when he talks about how the performance starts to get actual written reviews where people do try to explain its beauty and, you know, convey that. And he says, um, Variety said. E.T.s turn in. So- oh no, sorry. E.T.s are Sacco in plush review. <laughs> like,
1: oh God! Imagining. Uh,
0: yeah. I just love old Hollywood language. Like I'm imagining, like John Wick Four does baby boo boo bafo box office <laughs> like as <his> a headline <laughs> today.
1: <laughs> we gotta, we gotta bring that back. Old timey uh, review language.
0: <laughs> yeah, we need hyperbole again Socko. in our God, reviews. Socko. I'm sick
1: of this fucking. Like I want to hear yeah. something was like a, a revolution of film.
0: Mm-hmm. I do. I yeah, we're do better. All filmmakers. All right. Uh, finally on this show, we wrap out with six stupid one-liner jokes written by myself and our guest. Um, I don't know why I did this. <laughs> I'm trying to think back to why I made this segment. I think it's cause I like writing jokes. Because I've done it so long, it's just oh, a
1: habit. that's so and, and weird and of so you. A, oh my god. Oh really? And so that
0: a joke will exist for every Harlan Ellison short story, just in the universe. I want that to be true. Um, if you'd take us away, Sarah, did you write your jokes? I did. All right, hit me with number one.
1: I'm looking for them, but I, I, this, is, this I, replicates I
0: can... the embarrassing feeling of stepping on stage.
1: No, no, no. I remember one I wrote because it was such a fucking reach. But I said, um. The most lucrative box seats you could buy since the Lincoln assassination. Such <laughs> stupid fucking- That's good. Yeah.
0: Really- um, Are you saying you can't access your other two? Is that what's happening? No, yeah.
1: no, no. no. I, I was able to locate them, but- Oh, um, great. Okay. Uh, that was just from but memory because um, sh- I was so proud of coming up with that fucking little-
0: Nice. As you well should be. Um, My first. It was a fine performance from the aliens, but man- now, if Meryl Streep turned 40 feet tall and ate everyone, now that's a show.
1: Very nice. <laughs> uh, I said, the performance follows the ultimate rule of acting. Always leave them wanting more. Uh, this time, they were wanting more life. <laughs> I didn't write good ones. I, that's, I'm i sorry. No, but you
0: shot the moon on that um, one. bad enough that it still made me pop. Um, this is, this is uh, my second one. Weird. This show got a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes, but the audience score is.
1: Oh dear God! I'm being devoured alive. Ah! <laughs> um, uh, I I did a lazy one here. I just said typical actors. Oh Honestly. yeah, I had a, yeah, I had Honestly. one along those
0: lines, but I cut it because I thought it was too inside baseball. So I'll just say dinner and a show. Ooh la la. <laughs> That's
1: all. Oh, brother, we're done
0: here. Yeah, oh, brother. that's a wrap. Pretty corny this time, you know. But I did improv very... in high school, so
1: yeah. This, this is book, you know, it's corny. Me. I would say it's pulp. You know what I mean? Oh, like this
0: it's... is a, it's a pulp story, yeah, for sure.
1: It's and, and especially because it and, ends and, with everyone dies. Yeah, yeah especially and when pulp. something's pulpy, it's like I don't really think it's corny because like it knows it's it, it knows.
0: Agreed. It's
1: like yeah, it's it's like fun you no. know it's just for fun
0: so if you want to have fun check it out you already you just heard everything not just about what happens but pretty much all the insights i think you can glean from it so uh read it anyway i guess if you feel like it otherwise uh if you want to know what we're covering next time as i said check me out on twitter sarah where can people find you follow you and what's active for you right now that you want? i
1: to am at twitter sk underscore griffith Bridget and I and a few other people are working on a web series, new low. Um, we are getting dates together for that. It's coming together nicely now. We're kind of like putting together this puzzle. Um, listen to the new rough stuff. We're we we back, baby. Nice. Rough um, stuff's we- back. Wow,
0: rough stuff.
1: Yeah, uh, we accidentally put the show in hiatus. And in that time, we were able to kind of like retool it so we could actually reliably reliably do it every month. So we got that. And then with the new Fast and Furious movie coming out this year, Bridget and I will be doing a hat trick. So it's going to be shooting threes. There's going to be rough stuffs. And there's going to be at least one new Casting Curious this year. So everyone subscribe to Small Beans across all platforms, become a patron because it's going to be, it's going to be a crazy year.
0: Hell yeah. Uh, well plugged as your plugs always are. Thank um, you. Yeah. Patreon.com slash small uh, There's a lot of good stuff there. You can only get that's behind the paywall. Uh, we hope of course, if you are just subscribed to the free feed that you're getting uh, a lot out of it, we try to put out a lot of content, but behind the paywall, there's exclusive stuff like escape from the multi star Trek, the next Futurama, Special bonus episodes of I'll Show You Mine If You Show Me Yours and even Spielboys, where they're going through all the works of Steven Spielberg. That's also good. That's the newest one. Um, So way more podcasts than you probably need coming soon. Uh, Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for listening. Thank you. And that's it.